So James chapter 2, beginning in verse 14, says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his own son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead." Of all the first things kind of issues in the Bible, this is definitely one of them. We're talking about what justifies us before God. Are we justified before God on our own merit and the works that we accomplish? In other words, the good life that we live out before Him? Or are we justified on the works of Christ? The work of Christ on the cross as He came and He laid down His life for us so that we could have eternal life. He laid down His life as a payment for our sins. He was our substitute, which died in our place. And then He rose again from the dead. You know, Most of the religions in the world would say it's based on works. It's about what you do in your life. It's about the the things that you accomplish or don't accomplish. The things that you do right versus the things that you do wrong. And most of the religions of the world come down on the side that if if you are kind of 51% to the good or if you have more good works that outnumber your bad works, then you make it. And if your bad works outnumber your good works, then you miss it. But the Bible is very clear that it is not on the basis of our own merit. And the reason for that is because if it is on the basis of our own merit, well, the Bible says we've all fallen short. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've missed the mark. There's no way to make it. Through the law comes not the commendation before God, but our condemnation before God. And so the Bible makes it very clear that we cannot make it on our own. And you know, that's what we're looking at here this morning is what does justify us before God? Are we saved by the faith that we put in Christ and His works for us on the cross that He accomplished the righteousness of God? He accomplished paying for our sin and accruing our salvation? And it's just through that faith in Him? Or is it from our works? Because it's a hugely important issue. You know, when you look at the teaching of Jesus talking about the wide path and the narrow path, there's not a lot to make it percentage-wise. And when you look at the teachings of Scripture, we clearly have um, in our society, in among our people, we have people that are confident that they're going to make it because of their works, and they're not going to make it. And at the same time, we also, I think you can look on the other side, and you can see people who say that they have faith, but I don't think they understand what faith is, and so they're not going to make it either. Some people are working so hard to achieve it and never get there. Other people think that the works aren't a part of it at all, and they never get there either. And that's where the book of James comes down and deals with this. Now, we're going to end up comparing a few passages of Scripture this morning. It's a, it's a passage that Luther 
kind of wringed his hands over. And mainly because if you look at verse 24, it says you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And Luther had a hard time trying to deal with how does that fit? Because when you look at the teachings of the Apostle Paul and other places of the New Testament, you look at the book of Romans, for example, chapters 3 and 4, and more than that in the book of Romans. It's all over the place in the book of Romans. But you look at look at Ephesians chapter 2, Titus chapter 3, so many different places where the Bible says it's not by our works at all. It's totally by the grace of God. It's totally through faith in Jesus Christ. And so Luther had a hard time with that. He's like, he saw James and Paul kind of in an argument with each other almost. And so he didn't quite know what to do with James. Because Paul was so much more detailed in the understanding of it and so many, so much more teaching on the subject. They knew Paul was right, but he wasn't sure how James fit. James and Paul are not in an argument. There is no contradiction at all. But what's happening is they're coming at the issue from two different ends. And the reason is because of who they're writing to. The Apostle Paul, for example, like when he's writing in Romans, he was writing to a group of people that thought their good works could earn them heaven. And he tells them, you couldn't be more wrong. The book of James, he's writing to people that say, I can have a faith that doesn't affect my life at all, and I'm still okay before God. And James is saying, you couldn't be more wrong. And so the two of them are actually addressing the same issue. They would agree together, absolutely, but they're dealing with it from opposite ends because of the crowd that they're writing to. And the, the message of the book of James in chapter 2, verses 14 through 26 for this morning is that a genuine faith is a faith that works. He starts off in verse 14 and notice what he says. He says, what good is it? He's, a, he's asking a question. This is the primary question that this whole passage right here is dealing with. What good is it if someone says he has faith but does not have works? They make a profession of faith, but there's nothing to back it up. It's hypocrisy. They say they profess faith in Christ, but they're not following Christ. And that's what he's saying. He says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Now notice he says, can that, that word that is very important, can that faith save him? That kind of faith that says I have faith, coming out of my mouth is faith, but if you look at my life, you can't find any evidence for it. Is that saving faith? The issue is becoming, what is faith? We're absolutely saved by faith, and as the Reformation proclaimed loudly, by faith alone, but what is faith? When somebody says, well, I believe this, but there's no change in life, there's no uh, evidence in their life that backs up what they say they believe, is that the faith that the Bible's talking about? When, it's, when it talks about us coming to faith in Christ or being saved by faith? And that's what James is answering this with a resounding no. That is not the faith that the Bible's talking about when it talks about being saved by faith. Notice all through the passage, it's dealing with that kind of faith. A faith that is separate from any activity in our life, any action on our part. In verse 17, he says, So also faith by itself, by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. In verse 18, he says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. He says, show me your faith apart from your works. He says, I'll show you my faith by my works. In James chapter 2 and verse 20, he says, do you want to be shown, O foolish person, that, what does he say? Faith apart from works is useless. Remember how he started out, what good is it? Of what use is it? What value is there? 
faith apart from works is useless. So, so far it's dead. It's, uh, it's useless. It's, it's no faith at all. In verse 26, he says, For as the body apart from the Spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. And so he says, just the same way, the body without the Spirit, he says that's the relationship between faith and works. They're, they're intertwined. You can't, you can't separate them. Faith without works is dead. It's useless. It's, it's not faith. When the Bible says you're saved by faith, that's not the faith it describes. Now, this is a hugely important issue. I, I was actually saved in a, in a church that promoted this idea of what I would call easy believism. I got the term from somewhere else. It's not my term. But at any rate, they argued a lot about this. You're saved by faith. You're saved by grace. And they're absolutely right in that. But they went so far as to say that you could profess faith in Christ. You know Christ died for you on the cross. And that's what you're hanging on to. And if you lived the rest of your life in sin, they didn't think you would. But if you did, you're still saved. There's a lot of Bible verses that make me nervous about that, I remember thinking. Or a lot of those passages that talk about us being saved also mention repenting. Repenting of our sins. So they can be saved without repenting? How does that work? But they thought if they added repentance or any of these other things into it, that then you started to confuse the Gospel. You started to take the grace out of the Gospel. Absolutely not the case. The grace of God is much more powerful in our life than just delivering us into heaven. It also changes our life. And that's the point that James is making. In fact, in verses 22 and 23, he says, you see that faith was active along with his works, talking about Abraham, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see, faith and works are integrally linked together. You are not saved by works plus faith. You're saved by a faith that works. And it's supremely important that you get the understanding of that. Because if you try to say, well, i got to have faith and I have to have works to, to add that in there to merit my way to Christ, you are not making it. It is only by faith in the completed work of Christ that we have acceptance before God in heaven. But the fact of the matter is, if you put your faith in Christ, you are a new creature the Bible says you're born again, you're regenerated, you, you are a new creature in Christ, and your life will change. I had a pastor many years ago explaining the same passage, and he said this, he says, if your faith does not change your life, it will not save your soul either. And that is absolutely scriptural. And that's the point that James is making, that a genuine faith is a faith that works. Well, as we look through this passage, he argues this point with basically three different arguments. The first argument that he uses is a practical argument. He just uses an example. He says in verse 15, If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is it? He just puts it in a practical circumstance. It's actually exaggerated in the original language. He says they come to you not poorly dressed, naked, unclothed, and starving. And they come to your door. And you say, God bless you. I'll pray for you. He's like, what good is that? If that's your kind of faith, that's your answer? That's what faith does in your life? Not even a sandwich? Not even a blanket to cover up with? What good is that? And that's the point that he makes a little bit later on too. Is he says, look, if i got to work even harder, it's showing you how useless that kind of faith is. Genuine faith is useful. Genuine faith changes your life. And you know, we see it all through Scripture. Our heroes of the faith all stand out in this exact way. And the, the same kind of faith that they have is the same kind of faith we have. I love in, with Peter in one of his epistles, he says, you have a faith 
just as valuable as ours. Your faith is just as valuable as the guy that walked with Christ on the water, was willing to get out of the boat and walk with Christ. You have just as valuable faith if you're trusting in Christ. Isn't that an awesome thought? James, later in the book in chapter 5, will look at Elijah and call him a man of like passions. In other words, he's made out of the same stuff you are. The book of Hebrews puts together in, in chapter 11, we usually refer to it as the hall of faith. It starts out at the beginning of Hebrews chapter 11, defining faith. It says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. Notice that. By this, by faith, the people of old, these people were commended before God. But how do we know they have faith? Well, it's because we can see it in their life. And this is ultimately important because as he's writing to the Hebrews, he said, you know what? It's like you're in a big stadium and the crowd is full of these people that have gone before you and run their race and they ran it well. And guess who's standing on the track now? You are. And you're surrounded by Moses and Abraham and Noah and Sarah and Rahab. And you're surrounded by all these people of faith that went before you. And they're in the crowds cheering you on, but you know what? Now it's your time to run. Well, now it's our time to run. And all these people sitting in the bleachers, what did they do when it was their time to run? He says, by faith, Noah What did he do? He constructed an ark. By faith, Abraham obeyed. By faith, also speaking about Abraham, he went to live in the land of promise. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents at the risk of their own lives. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. By faith, he left Egypt. By faith, he kept the Passover. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient. And then it lists a whole bunch of different names. David and Samson and Jephthah and all those guys. He says, "...who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war." put foreign armies to flight. How do we know they had faith? Because by faith they did this and they did this and they did this and they did this and the question falls upon us. What do you do because of your faith? If we can't find anything that we do because of our faith, if our life isn't being molded by our faith, our faith is dead, it is useless, it is not the kind of faith that the Bible is talking about when it talks about faith. If your faith through speech only, you are missing the boat. The faith of the Bible works. The faith of the Bible is powerful. Not only does he make this practical argument, but he also makes a logical argument, and he does that in a couple of different ways. Not that he isn't using logic in all these, you do, but but, uh, these ones stand out as primarily logical. And he talks about uh, the evidence of their faith. He says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. He says, show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. In other words, he kind of calls them to do an impossible thing. I would love to see the reaction because he's calling upon them and saying, okay, show me that faith. Let me see it. Let me see this faith that doesn't work. Or I should say doesn't have works, although it doesn't work either. It's not going to get them anywhere as far as heaven's concerned. Is faith visible or invisible? Faith is invisible. You, you, you can't see it. You can only see the byproducts of it. Right, John Piper, he compared it to calories. He said, faith is like calories. You cannot see them, but you can see the effects of them. I'd have to soundly agree with that, unfortunately. But sometimes the Bible points at the Spirit. He says, you can't see the Spirit. The Spirit's like the wind. 
The wind blows. You can't see it, but what do you do? You can feel it. You can feel the movement of the air against you. You can see it rustle the trees. You can see it blow over the blades of grass as you're driving down the road. You can see it kick up dust and blow dirt through the air. And so you can see the effects of the wind, but you cannot see the wind itself. You cannot see the Spirit itself. That's what he's calling these people to do. He says, you say you have faith, and that's the only thing to your faith. Well, then show it to me. Let's pull it out on the carpet or on the table where we can see it. And that's the whole point is you can't. Here's the proper connection between faith and works. He says, you say you have faith. There's no way for you to demonstrate it. There's no way to show me your faith without works. He says, I can show you my faith by my works. It's a, there's a logic here. That's how we know this faith is real because you can see the outflow of the change of life that takes place from it. You know, I love it when you get a chance to share the Word of God with somebody and they see the truth of it and you see their life just turn. That is faith. If you see the truth of it and you don't turn, what is it? Remember back in chapter 1? Like a man looking in a mirror, sees what needs to change, goes away and forgets what he saw. Remember what the warning was before that? Do not be deceived. That's the same thing that he's continuing to deal with here. Now he goes on from there and uses a bit of an argument. He, he says, you believe that God is one. Well, you do well. And, he, and he's right on that. This was part of Israel's doctrinal statement, if you will. If you go back to the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 6, Moses is about to give Israel the second giving of the law. He starts off the doctrinal statement with this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It's what Israel calls the Shema. That's the starting point of their whole understanding of God and how to live out their life. And so when James says, you believe that God is one, you're doing well. Okay, you're on the right track so far. But then he completely rips the rug out from under him with what he says next. He says, even the demons believe. And they do what? They tremble. When Jesus would encounter a demon, what was their response before Christ? They were always afraid. You haven't come here to destroy us already, have you? It's not time yet. And But you know what? When you stop and think about it, what does the devil know about God? You know, the devil knows a lot of things about God. I would say the devil could write a pretty good doctrinal statement. But you see, those are things about God. Is the, is the devil or are the demons, are they trusting in God? Are they trusting in Christ? Absolutely not. The word faith, if you look all through the Bible, it's going to be used in a couple different ways. Sometimes it talks about faith as in the faith. In other words, what does the faith contain? And that's things like doctrinal statements. We believe in God the Father. We believe in God the Son. We believe in God the Holy Spirit. We believe in all, the, all these things that are about God. So faith in the Bible, a lot of ways it's used, is talks about the content of our faith. These are the things that we believe. But the word faith in the Bible is also used as a measure of your commitment. Sometimes you talk about the faith, the content of that belief, but other times you talk about somebody being a person of strong faith, of great faith. You're saying they're very committed. Now, both things are essential in the Bible. But what we find here is James is saying, look, you guys believe a bunch of things about God, but if that's where it stops, you're not believing in God. You might, you might know some things about Christ. You might know that He died on the cross for you, but you're not trusting in Him. You see, one says, yeah, it happened. The other one says, it happened. It paid for my sin. And I'm banking my whole future on this. You see, it's a difference between thinking that chair will hold you up and actually sitting in it. That's what faith is. Faith is that decision where you say, 
Lord, I believe what you did for me, the contents there, I am committed to you. And so he gives this practical argument. He also gives this logical argument. He says, look, it's not just about believing things about God. Pharisees knew a lot of things about God, didn't they? Jesus told them, search the Scriptures because in them you think that you have eternal life, but the Scriptures point to me, but you won't trust me. You won't come to me that you have life. And so there's a difference between believing something about God and actually believing in God. Putting your faith in Him. Well then lastly, we got to deal with it and that's what he does. He deals with it with a scriptural argument. He starts going back into the Old Testament pulling out scriptures to deal with this issue of salvation and faith and works. He says, do you, need, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works and the Scripture was fulfilled. It says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. When it says that Abraham believed God, that was back in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. God makes a covenant with Abraham, tells him he's going to bless him, and tells him to come follow him. And Abraham does it. Packs up his household and away he goes. It says Abraham believed God. How do we know Abraham believed God? You see, he packs up and he moves. Action. Works following his faith. And so we know he believed God. Also, he says, look at Isaac. He offers up his own son Isaac. He's willing to sacrifice his son. Actually, put the knife to Isaac. God obviously stops him from doing it, but he's drawing a picture of Christ in that in that whole instance. But here's the point. We can see Abraham's faith by his faithfulness to God, by his obedience to God. We can see his faith because of his works. Those two events are like 30 years apart. The, the works backed up what he said. Both, both guys use Abraham as an example. James uses Abraham as an example here and says, look, we know Abraham had faith because look at his works. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 4 says, look at Abraham. We know that he was saved by faith alone because the Bible says he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. He doesn't deny that the works backed up his faith or came from his faith, but he says the thing that saves you is the faith. Well, if we look back at Romans chapter 4 beginning in verse 1, it says, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. So in other words, he's saying, look, if you're going to count who's a good guy in this world, Abraham's one of them. He's got some bragging rights. But notice the very next sentence, but not before God. Abraham's good deeds or whatever, they stack up well among other people. But when you're looking at going to heaven, you're not stacking up among other people. You're lining up before God. And what is who is God? God is perfection. And so he says, Abraham doesn't have anything to brag about before God. Plenty to brag about before other people. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. And so the Apostle Paul comes here and he says, look at Abraham. God counted Abraham as righteous. On what basis? On the basis of faith. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So he says that's what commends him before God. Because he says if you're going to earn it, if you earn your own righteousness, then it's not a gift anymore. It is a wage. It's your salary. He says, but salvation is based on a gift. 
And so he says, you know what? It's not the person that's working for the salary, working for that gift. It's the person who stops working and just receives the gift. As long as I was trusting in some level of my own goodness to get me before God, I had no reason to trust Jesus Christ that I could see in my mind. I remember even thinking, I knew Jesus died on the cross. Well, not all of them, but I knew a few things. I knew that Christmas was about Him coming into the world. I knew that Easter was about Him rising from the dead. I knew that the cross is what He died on. All those kinds of things. But I never really made a connection of how that affected me. What did that have to do with me? And you know why I never made a connection on what it had to do with me? Because I always figured I was good enough. I'm already accepted. I'm fine. I totally was not fine. Why didn't I see the gift? Because I thought I was earning it. As soon as I realized I couldn't earn it, then I desperately needed the gift. And that's what he's saying here in Romans chapter 4. Abraham was a good guy, but he, even he couldn't earn it. David, man after God's own heart, even he couldn't earn it. So then what's my chance? Not good. That's why it's based on faith. You know, Romans chapter 3, the, the chapter right before that, emphasizes that very strongly. It says, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. To trust in the law, trust in our level of good works, we're in the wrong boat. That's exactly what condemns us. That's exactly what gets us in this problem. He goes on from there to say, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And lastly, he says, then what becomes of our boasting? It's excluded. By, by what kind of law? By the law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. He says, look, you've got to stop trusting in your works and just trust in Christ. That is what the law was supposed to bring you to. The law shows you how you blew it. Christ is there to save you, to deliver you. But you've got to stop trusting in yourself to be able to trust in Him. Well, but then you say, well, but what about what James said? What about works coming into it? He gets there. You get to chapter 6 of the book of Romans and he says, so then should we just continue to live in our sin so that God's grace abounds? He says, absolutely not. You're dead to your sin. You're united with Christ. That would be a complete contradiction for you to live in your sin. When he gets up to, and when he gets to chapter 7, he recognizes it's a struggle. When he gets to chapter 8, he talks about the ministry of the Holy Spirit coming in and making all things new for us and us being able to live out the righteous principles of the law. So in other words, the flow of thought of the book of Romans is, look, we're completely guilty before God. Our works have demonstrated that. But when we turn and just through simple faith receive Jesus Christ into our life as our Savior, the Holy Spirit comes in and changes our life and He makes us new. And now we work out our salvation. We don't work for our salvation. We work it out in our lives as a demonstration. Those works are a demonstration of the genuine faith that resides within us. Ephesians does the same thing. 
Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. You probably have it memorized. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. Salvation is apart from works. If it was about you being able to work and achieve your salvation, then you could brag about it when you get there. And you know what? The only person going to be bragged about when we get there is Jesus Christ. And we're all going to be bragging about Him. But notice verse 10. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which He prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You see, He doesn't get the cart before the horse here. He says, look, we're saved only by faith. Only through the grace of God. But you know what? That grace and that faith, that works in our life. And it says we are His workmanship. And what's the result of that? We do good works that God has put there for us to do. We need to make sure we got a very clear understanding on this. Because if we get the cart before the horse and think our good works are going to get us to heaven, we miss the boat because we trust in ourselves and not in Christ. But, if we come to genuine saving faith in Christ, it works. 